Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I am so excited you decided to join me for another episode this week. This week, uh, my friend Dr. Kin Fong is going to be on the podcast today. uh, We had a conversation a couple months ago. I feel it's so interesting. So what I do is I will record uh, an episode or record an interview with one of my friends, and then um, it'll just kind of like sit in a queue waiting for me to work through it and edit it and let me tell you what this is so timely for me Uh, i'm currently working with my own church on helping make my church a safer space for queer people and trying to figure out how to walk um, alongside my leadership in uh, in a way that would most honor our congregation and not break us up or split us up and also at the same time continue to move stuff forward which we all know is a difficult task and this conversation is just spot on what I needed to be reminded of. And I think if you are someone who is currently working with your congregation to try and move that kind of stuff forward, this is going to be a really fantastic conversation for you to listen to as well. But before I introduce you to my friend, um, let me give you the information of some speaking stuff I've got coming up. This July, I'm going to be at the Wild Goose Festival. The Wild Goose Festival is a uh, a festival of art, music, social justice, um, and a bunch of hippies and weirdos in the forest of Hot Springs, North Carolina, I being among them. So if you enjoy camping, if you enjoy uh, like-minded people, if you enjoy a good beer and hymn session, I highly suggest getting your tail out to Hot Springs, North Carolina for this festival. It's going to be July 13th through the 16th, and I am going to be doing two workshops, one of them called Owning Your Story and Impacting Others, where we're going to be talking about how to have difficult conversations, and then one with uh, in the youth tent, actually, called Know Thy Selfie, talking about um, creating and cultivating authentic connections in a digital age. I'm very, very excited about these, and if you want, you can actually get 25% off your ticket now. All you have to do is to go to wildgoosefestival.org, and when you're purchasing your tickets, use the offer code BE MY GUEST. That's in all caps, BE MY GUEST, and you'll get 25% off, no questions asked. So, again, wildgoosefestival.org, get your tickets, and I will see you out there, my friends. Today, I'm going to be sharing a conversation I have with my friend, Dr. Ken Fong. Dr. Ken Fong is a pastor, a professor, and a pioneer in the realm of multi ethnic Christian ministry. He served his church, Evergreen Baptist Church, uh, which is located in California in Rosemead for like 36 years. And he helped walk his congregation from being welcoming but not affirming to being a space that fully affirms LGBTQ identities and same sex relationships. He's been on staff at Fuller Theological Seminary, as well as Azusa Pacific College, and uh, has an incredible podcast that focuses on the Asian American experience called Asian America. In this conversation, we cover a lot of ground, including his work and my own curiosities about working with a non-affirming church and helping it become a safer place for queer people. Just a note about the recording, we actually had this conversation back on Inauguration Day this past January. So a lot of the language, a lot of the feelings might feel like a... Shouldn't you be more angry? But that's because it happened over 100 days ago, and all the crazy things that happened with uh, the Trump administration uh, hadn't quite happened yet. Um, But we still have a really great conversation around evangelicalism and uh, how we interact with 
politics and how things are finally starting to shift and maybe in a good way. So anyways, uh, how about you grab whatever is around you, like a drink or a friend or uh, turn up the radio and uh, yeah, listen to this conversation with me and my friend, Dr. Ken Fong. just celebrated my 62nd year on this planet. Congratulations and, and happy birthday. Yeah, and um, pretty much uh, I was telling someone from uh, our church who's working on um, uh, a video for my retirement party uh, that I, I think one of my earliest memories as a, like a four-year-old child is that I was an artist. You know, no one had to tell me that. I just saw something I drew and it's like, hey, I'm an artist. I feel like I've been a uh, an artist in hiding in all the other things that I've done, but I've always brought that creative thinking beyond the lines uh, aspect to whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's writing a sermon, whether it's counseling somebody, whether it's giving a lecture. I just, I have this like innate repulsion to just mailing it in. And that's very easily done in a lot of Christian contexts, especially evangelical ones. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you say what they, you know, believe is orthodox. And what you're expected to say, no one's going to really complain. But I feel like if I were to do that as someone who feels like an artist, I I feel like I would be selling out. So I have, uh, yeah, I've been pastoring uh, at the same church since I was 26 years old down here in Los Angeles. So since 1978. It's not the same church because I'm not the same person. Hmm. Uh, Because they've allowed me to grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think some churches... That's anathema. So I think that's that's one of the main reasons why I've been able to stay at the same church. I am retiring uh, at the end of this coming June just because uh, I just feel I'm tired of doing this, mm-hmm. but I'm not tired of working. And I I think, to, to sum it up, Kevin, I, I, I feel like I've spent my entire adult life learning to play well with others within the boundaries of institutional Christianity but especially my work as an advocate, not just an ally on the LGBTQ stuff, um, I, I just feel like what God has next for me, I would, I would flourish uh, the work if I didn't carry uh, so many institutional titles with me. Right, right. So yeah, that's I'm I'm you know at 62, I don't know how many years I have left where I have mental acuity and health and whatever, but so far so good, and so I just. I've done a good job playing within the lines all this time, and my podcast in particular has showed me how well I can do outside the lines, mm-hmm. and so that really intrigued me, and life is short. So your podcast, um, what is it? What is it about? And I assume it's like mm-hmm. on iTunes and where everybody else can find it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's on iTunes. Uh, it's called Asian America, the Ken Fong Podcast. Um, my friend... Uh, who's a documentary filmmaker? He's actually making the documentary film that the working title is the Ken Fong Project. Uh, it's it's my journey with my church. We can talk about that later. To to become a a, a nurturing and uh, empowering place for LGBTQ Christians. So it takes a while to make a documentary film, and so we had some downtime. So he came to me in early 2015 and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing a podcast?" And I said, uh, "I know what they are, but I've never listened to one. Hmm. So why would you ask that?" And he said, well, uh, as it turns out, 2015 was the year of the podcast. Yeah. I don't know if you got to Yeah. So that's, that's a, a, a genre that's really exploding. And so he said, you know, 
I, I think there's a niche that's not being filled by anyone, Asian-American guests, but with a light dusting of spirituality, right. uh, you know, given that you're a Christian and, and certainly a pastor. So we started in May 2015, and uh, like you, we've, we've labored hard to pump out an episode every week. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are, I think, at our 91st episode. Wow, um, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. And I, I think I've ended up not only the host, but the co-producer. I've probably found 98% of our guests. And that just fits in my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm a natural networker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking for Asian-American um, creatives and culture makers and shapers, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily Christian ones. And uh, right now, as of today, we've been downloaded over 110,000 times. Uh, we're listened to in over 100 countries. And in all 50 states, uh, for the longest time, North Dakota, there was nobody, but I figured there's nobody that lives in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And so finally we found like downloads from North Dakota. So, yeah. you know, it could be elk. I don't know. but could be elk. could be moose. Um, could be the giant mosquitoes they have there. Uh, yeah. So, and as, it, as it, it's turned out, um, because I focused a lot on people in the arts, uh, a lot of my guests, uh, either LGBTQ Mm-hmm. Or they're really allies uh, because of all their friends. Even though it wasn't planned originally, it's also my podcast has become a safe place for people who are really affirming of LGBTQ people to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents, pastors, it's it's an unusual space. This is the most energizing thing I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I don't get paid a dime. It's costing us a little bit. But, yeah. you know, the audience is growing. We're up to about 8,000 downloads a month. And, uh, yeah, and, and so we're not doing any heavy advertising, um, but we're always trying to grow the audience. Mm-hmm. So when I was at GCN, where I saw you, mm-hmm. I was busy passing out cards. Hey, I, I shamelessly promote I went up to everyone. I said, here's my card slash my blog. You should subscribe and get my ebook for free. Yeah, there you go. You know, shame, a little shameless self-promotion never hurt anybody. So being that today is Inauguration Day, um, and we apparently have a new president um like what well what do you I'm think denial. well what like what do you like let me pose the same question to you like what do you think i mean what's like the next big move that might happen with i don't know american evangelicalism um especially with the fact that like 81 percent of white evangelicals voted for a human who does not embody any of the principles that we profess to believe in well i think the their hypocrisy that's a strong way of putting it uh is is exposed for all to see uh, this is the same group of people that made such a big deal in previous elections about a person's character and how important that was, and they just trashed all that. And you know, in talking to some of them, you know, I, I get it that a lot of them are disgusted by Donald Trump's lack of character, and we're not even going to undiagnosed narcissistic personality disorder, but they're really concerned about the vacancies on the Supreme Court, and they want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. And then the other part is they said, you know, we're really concerned about the ongoing separation of church and state, which I'm sure you know is the dog whistle or anti-LGBTQ sentiments. Have you heard that? Uh, I, I guess more or less because they want the, the Supreme Court to also overturn uh, the decision from last a couple summers ago, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. From the, the same-sex marriage ruling. Um, I mean, it goes back to the wedding cake and the baker. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They're saying... Uh, there's been a distinct shift strategically in the last several years among conservative evangelicals. They are losing their own young people because their young people are much more tolerant 
of most people and on the on the gay issue mm-hmm. that they just sound too homophobic and hateful. So there's been a, de- a deliberate shift of strategy to not be against gay people, but to claim that Christians are being persecuted, mm-hmm. that we are being forced to accept people or to provide services that go against our religious convictions. Hmm. So that's their public voicing now. But I think most people aren't fooled for one bit. But hmm. but I think for some of the some of the conservatives who voted for Trump, even holding their nose all the way uh, to the ballot box, they feel like the culture is definitely shifting in a direction that they're freaked out about. So they will vote against their emphasized principles to try to stem the culture shift. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So what I what I think is is going to be an outcome, <clears throat> and I'm I'm celebrating this is I think a lot of more moderate and progressive uh, Christians who have just been silent in their more conservative churches, this election of Trump and the ongoing selection of his cabinet ministers and you know and members and uh, still not going to reveal his uh, tax returns and all this kind of stuff, um, they're saying, all right, I can't pretend anymore that this is a group that I identify with. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And the big question then is where are they going to land? The, the water's warm, guys. Come on over. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, four weeks ago, uh, a blog was put up on the Salt Collective by uh, Asian-American clinical psychologists who basically uh, was saying it's really lonely being a progressive Asian-American Christian. You either go to a non-Asian-American church that's culturally completely different than your own, mm-hmm. but theologically... There's, there's a lot of resonance. Or you go to an Asian culture church that resonates culturally, but theologically is way more conservative than you, than you are now. Mm-hmm. And so she put a little link to this new Facebook page that had no members on it uh, that was progressive Asian-American Christians. And as of four weeks now, there's 1,500 members on the on the site. Oh, sweet. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's exploded. And all of these people, I'd say 98% of them are allies. Cool. Okay? Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> yeah. And so um, they are literally coming out of the closet mm-hmm. because they they live in fear, especially in the Midwest, that if any of their conservative Asian-American or non-Asian-American friends you know, hear how progressive they are, that they're going to get chastised, they may lose their job, mm-hmm. right? And so they're now kind of... Um, First, sharing their stories, finding solace in, in this virtual way. Mm. They're starting to plan some meetups. But what I'm hoping is that some new churches are going to get planted. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, you still want to go to church, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Well, now you have a way of finding out who in your area actually is wired like you mm-hmm. that is also feeling like we need something different. So it's not automatically going to happen, but I, I'm hopeful Kevin, I, I, I think that the real change that is represented by the election of Donald Trump uh, is definitely a game breaker, right? And, and so people are saying, I got to do something different. Um, when I first met you, I came, uh, I think maybe it was like maybe a week before you guys had had the conversation with your church that you guys were moving from kind of like just a welcoming space, oh. but to a fully affirming um, space for LGBTQ people. And how long was that process for y'all? 
Uh, probably. Well, it's been going on the last seven plus years with the church. Uh, I've been on the journey. This is my 11th year. And as I said in my introduction, as I've evolved and as, as I've changed, the church has also evolved and changed. And some people have come and some people have gone, mm-hmm. right? But um, I think we wanted to do it at a pace in which uh, the more traditional people, and, and they're now in the minority, um, that they still felt loved and respected and valued. And that's that's tough. Right. It's, it's really tough. I, I think because, as I've shared in other spaces, the, the, the fundamental framing of a progressive person and a conservative person is different. So for a, a progressive person or a liberal person, uh, some of the linchpins are, you know, uh, tolerance, uh, inclusiveness, um, diversity is a good thing, many seats at the table, Everyone who's at the table has a voice, right? Everyone should be listened to. Um, for a more conservative person, it's it's about the truth. No compromise. No watering down. And since we already have the truth, how can we make room for like to coexist with someone who has a different view of the truth than what I think is right? Because you're watering down our church. You're watering down the gospel. Yeah, right. And so my favorite way of describing it is like saying, if you mix vanilla ice cream with horse manure, it doesn't affect the manure in a negative way, but it ruins the ice cream. And so I think for the conservative folks, they assume that they're the pure ice cream. Whereas I think more progressive people are are more apt to say, oh, even, even if we think we're ice cream, we know we're manure. Like we, we already have our biases and our shortcomings. That's why we need more people at the table. So I'm still trying to figure out, even at our church, how do we keep the remaining conservative people truly engaged and feeling non-marginalized? Because that's, that's what some of them are saying now. When, when their fundamental wiring is, I need to go to a church that feels conservative, and if there are liberal people at this church, then I go to a liberal church. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I experienced like, the same thing like working at my church, like trying to say, like I don't want to call you guys like horrible and bigoted or like you're not listening um because i know you're not horrible or bigoted you're just you're you have a different mindset than i but i also want to say like you have to we have to move the dial forward but how do we do that in a way that both honors the people that are there and honors the people who are like silently sitting in our congregation not saying anything about who they are yeah and so the even the the instinct that you and I have to move the dial forward, mm-hmm. to quote you, is already anti-conservative. Right. Conservative is to have things stay the same or go back to the way they were before. Mm-hmm. So to make America great again, right? Yeah. So, you know, like, great for whom? When was it great for black people? When was it, you know, great for gay people? When was mm-hmm. it great for people with disabilities? So there is this assumption, again, of a more conservative traditional thinker that we Everything is fine. Quit changing it, and that's that's again why I think they vote for Trump. So when you're when you're part of the marginalized group, and when you're part of the left out people, to maintain the status quo is bad news. Mm-hmm. It's like we only have hope that things will get better for us or for the people that we care about. So anyway, I tried to frame it that way for our church, and you know what I realized uh, early on in the process. On the one hand, they need to hear uh, a robust engagement with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at the same time, our, our Christian faith is based on the word become flesh. There, there has to be a humanizing of the issue. And so I started inviting uh, various human beings 
to come up after I would preach on a particular part of this and to talk about their journey, their story. You know, I had uh, an African-American pastor friend who's one of those compassionate conservatives. Uh, so I started with him. And, and, you know, he shared, I don't hate gay people, but my reader of scripture, you know, means that I, I can't just fully uh, applaud and endorse. Okay, so I felt, you know, I, I need to give that some space. Then the next week, I brought two pastor's kids up. Um, one was a Korean-American lesbian who has an MDiv from Fuller Seminary, where I taught and where I graduated. Her dad was my student when she was six years old. Whoa. Okay. And then the other person was a Caucasian, 52-year-old um, gay man whose dad was a pastor of a big Bible, Southern Baptist church in the South. Um, and he had showed up at our church. He, he, he came out of the closet at 16, and then his family kicked him out, and his church kicked him out, and he ended up a male escort just to survive. Yeah. And for 22 years, he lived a really sordid yeah. life. It's a miracle he's not HIV positive. But you know, several years ago, he felt like God was telling him, you need to make this right. And so he was looking for a church that taught the Bible, focused on Jesus, but didn't make him lie about being a gay man. And, and um, so I wanted the congregation to hear these stories. Of, these are pastor's kids. And here's one who's an Asian-American lesbian, right, who has a theological degree. So I made them wrestle with that and, and say, we're not just talking about bullet points. We're not just arguing hermeneutical principles. We're talking about things that affect, affect and impact real-life human beings, mm -hmm. right? And the very last uh, group that I invited in these six weeks was this Chinese-American couple where the husband was going on his own to Talbot, getting an MDiv and apologetics, he's, he's very conservative, came to realize that their only son was gay. Wow. And that the whole family knew but him. Because they didn't trust him to handle this news very well. And so they kept it a secret from him for three years. Wow. And he says, I wept when I found out that my, my family assumed that I was so judgmental that I couldn't be trusted with this information what kind of Pharisee have I become? Mm, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was a very, very moving story. They they ended up um, taking in their son's lover while their son was in med school, and their son's lover had a lot of, all these health problems. And oh, ultimately, they paid for all his. He didn't have medical insurance, so they paid for all his medical bills. They bought him a used car. Mm. They flew mm. with him to the Mayo Clinic to try to figure out what was wrong with him to no avail. Finally, he was stable enough. He moved back to Connecticut where their son was in medical school, and he committed suicide. Yeah, and his family, his, uh, the, the uh, boyfriend was Caucasian. His family some fundamentalists in Dallas, Texas, and they had already told him that they've disowned him. He's going to hell. So when my church member, the father, called up his father and said, I have terrible news. Your son just you know, committed suicide. Um, what do you want to do about it? He's like, I have no son. He's dead to me. Yeah, and so this, this Chinese family from my church planned and paid for two memorial services for their son's boyfriend, which his own family boycotted. And so they shared that story from our stage. Wow. Right? Wow. And, and they just said, you know what? We can't let our theology get in the way of, of loving the way God has called us to love. Right. So we went into this probably four-month discernment process after hearing all this stuff. Um, the board um, spent a lot of time interviewing some other people, talking and praying, and then we wrote a document 
And uh, one of the three mandates was to finally officially have a safe support group for Christians to identify as LGBTQ. And we started with just two allies and a still closeted uh, professor. Hmm. And now we have over 100 people. Wow. In uh, than two years. Yeah, and we just launched last week our first parent support group because parents are, are starting to show up, like that couple that you know took in their son's boyfriend. Uh, so there's parents like that who become real allies of their children, of their gay children. But we also have the beginning of some parents whose young adult children have just come out to them, and they're just kind of at a loss. They don't know how to deal with this. They certainly can't talk about this to their pastor at their church. So, yeah, it's it's become one of the most redemptive things that I personally see going on at our church. I tell you, the, one of the keys that that I've been able to um, put my finger on, Kevin, is it, this: all of this work cannot be seen as you're just trying to do something for LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. So, so what's what's really tough is um, there's there's existing vocabulary out there that that people kind of quickly um, resort to. It's like, oh, are you trying to be a reconciling church, right? If you're a United Methodist, mm-hmm. uh, or are you trying to be a welcoming and affirming church, which Right, it, it, it's out there, and so what I tell people is, look, no, the answer is, we're trying to be a better church to everybody, mm. okay, and we're starting with some groups of people that we've been really lousy church to, and they're missing parts of the body. Our our body is suffering because they're not here, and I think as they experience genuine kingdom hospitality, without an asterisk. Mm-hmm. Without a qualifier, um, and they're the only ones that can tell us if that's really their experience. Like we, oh no, we're being loving. It's like, no, you're not. You know, but because they they do give us that feedback, even though it's it's not yet at a point where any of my staff is going to officiate at one of their weddings, but neither will we invalidate their wedding if they get married. Right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of moving at this pace, so they get that, and and they say, I I see the long game. You know, th- this is tremendous, you know, what's happened already. Um, last October, our board announced uh, publicly that uh, our first openly lesbian candidate for membership had applied. And as the board took a couple months to look at our bylaws, they said there's nothing in our Baptist bylaws that says that we can't accept them with no strings attached because they're confessing Christian, they're baptized, and they've taken the membership class and passed their interview. We're not supposed to go into who they're attracted to or what gender they identify with, right? Mm-hmm. And so first person through, she, she's just, I mean, I, I just look at the wisdom of God in, in picking this first openly, you know, first gay person to go through because right now she's not dating anybody. She's just sweet as sweet can be. She she has a tangible relationship with Christ, right? Yeah. It's like, how do you how do you not recognize that this is your sister in Christ? So the vote for her came up uh, last December, mm-hmm. and you know she didn't know. I mean, she didn't have to get 100%, but she didn't know if she was going to get 51%. Mm-hmm. But she says, you know, I'm going to accept it, whatever. I know that God already affirms me. It doesn't you know, need human beings. Well, of the members that were there, the vote was 93 yes, one abstention, zero no's. Hmm. Boom. Okay. And I love 
how anticlimactic that whole moment was. Because if this had happened five years before, it would have been really contentious. So the journey at the pace we've done it, while it's not fast enough or it's too slow, you know, or, or it's too fast for some people, um, when I look at some of the fruit and how this young woman now feels so affirmed with no qualifiers on her membership, mm -hmm. right? So if she wants to apply to be a youth advisor, uh, a Sunday school teacher, uh, you know, whatever, we're going to consider each application individually just like we already do. There's no gay-specific policy. As there shouldn't be. Right, but you'd be surprised. And so when we first started down this road, that was what I was hearing from some of the straight conservative people. is like, well, wait, wait, wait. Let's have policies in place first that address the gays. Mm -hmm. And I said, policies are always implemented by people who currently enjoy privilege and power, and they want to protect the status quo. Right? Mm, say and that so, again. Yeah, it's just like, so let's say it's pre-civil rights act, and there's a white church in the South, right? And they're like, okay, we should be more integrated. But before we let black people come to our church, let's have a whole list of policies addressing what blacks can and cannot do. Can they date your child? Mm -hmm. You know, can, can they, uh, you know, bring their food to our potluck? If, if then you invite black people to come to your church and they see all these black specific policies, are you serious that any black person in the right mind would actually want to come? Exactly. Okay. Right. So I said, hey, you know what? We're going to start with relationships. Mm -hmm. We're not going to start with policies. And I said, anytime we go to policy, we're going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's like, no, we go to the tree of life and we all have the same worth. And I don't believe that Jesus has a subset category in his mind for gay Christians. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, you're, you're uh, saved, but you can't be belong to my church. It's like, I, I just don't get that. Yeah. So I go, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I so often, anyway. Yeah. yeah. There was one thing I always like, I, I kind of like that frustrates me so much about because like so many churches will want to have like a non-policy stance of just like we're going to be welcoming and yeah you're of course you can come of course you can be on like the parking team and of course you can be you can hand out bulletins yeah but then like if there's someone like me who like wants to lead a bible study uh or like a community group i'm i'm disallowed from doing that because i it would be allowing me to lead would be the church making a statement that they're not ready to make it and so when i zoom out of my ego like i get that i understand like what that means for you but just like here, like, I always think about just, like, so you're telling me that I am a son of God. I am, a you know, I'm like an heir to the throne, all these beautiful things. Uh, I am worthy of the sacraments of baptism, uh, of the Eucharist, um, of, you know, I can go if I need to, you know, confess to my pastor, I can. If we did, we don't, need, we don't really do that in the evangelical tradition, but if it needed to. But for some reason, it, it just blows my mind. And I, I'm, it's encouraging to hear, like, a congregation who you know has gone through this process before and, and it's not just like and what i think is very interesting too is like our church is really good on talking about um racial justice our church is really good about talking about gender equality of women um, and we have people from those identity groups talking from the pulpit um but anytime we mention like a, a group of oppressed people or marginalized people lgbtq people are left off every time and it just really it really bugs me. Yeah, you know, uh, the, and I'll you know I'll, I'll uh, mention why I think that always happens and what needs to change. But I'll, I'll say this: a big deal for us was the a week after the Orlando Pulse shooting, I made the decision that the next Sunday we were going to dedicate the service to what happened. We had never done that before, 
there was a candle lighting ceremony. Uh, we we actually had several of the uh, members of our safe support group come up and just share what this how this impacted them. Uh, my sermon was about the importance of sanctuary and how gay nightclubs tend to be sanctuary, a safe place to just breathe and, and be who you are. Uh, the black church has been the sanctuary for you know so many black people. That was the year anniversary of that shooting at Mother Emanuel Church. So there were some people that said, okay, why couldn't you just like set a prayer and had a moment of silence? Like, why do we do all that? Hmm. And, and I said, okay, that's somewhat fair because we haven't done something like that in the past. Uh, probably the closest thing was after 9-11, okay? But I said, you don't understand. There's 100 people now that are coming to our church that this has shaken to the core. And so part of our saying, you're being part of us, fundamentally affects and changes who we are, is for us to feel their pain and to give them a space to, to talk about it. And I said, how many other services do openly gay people get to talk about being openly gay? So I'm sure we lost a few more people, but other people said, wow, that was that was historic. I, I, I'm really glad, you know. And we, we had pe gay people and gay couples who normally don't come to our church. The word got out, and they packed that service because yeah. they had a need. They had a need to come to a place and, and just to, to mourn, right? So I, I was very proud of the fact that we were willing to do that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, now, now I get to the reason why I think LGBTQ people get left off the list of oppressed people, mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, what the reason is, is obvious to anyone who thinks about it for five seconds. It's because of all the other groups that are oppressed. This is one that's still tainted with so many conservative Christians that way because you're making a sinful choice. Yeah. So, right, and then you quickly go to, well, you wouldn't want us to, uh, you know, include pedophiles, right? You know, and all that stuff. I hate that, right? I'm sure yeah. you hate that. Like, until. I think the change for me fundamentally came when I began to see mounting evidence, both from people themselves who told me, I don't remember ever choosing this and why would I? But now the mounting scientific and medical research on, on gender identity and sexual attraction uh, that's saying, oh, no, they're not making this up. They're, they're, it's wow. a different wiring. Yeah, right. Okay, so until or unless you, you accept that that is actually the majority of most LGBTQ people's experience, then you're still hung up by including them as an oppressed person, by letting them teach a Bible study, because that's a tacit endorsement, a condoning of an ongoing sinful, immoral choice. Okay. And that to me, is the, that's the dividing line. Hmm. People need to read a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's more than, you know, reading. I, I think it's, you know, I went to Kathy Belduck's uh, workshop at GCN. Mm, so good. And if you've never, oh, mind-blowing, right? And so even understanding what was going on when certain Bible translations were inserting the word homosexual, it, what was going on in the, in the culture with the attitude that homosexuality is a mental illness, right, all that stuff. So many people who just open their Bible and read what it says there, they just assume it's in my Bible then it's God's truth. Must be right, you know. Right? But yeah. But to unpack that and go, well, actually, it's more complex than that. There are so many people that just don't want to do that. It's exactly. like, you're, you're making me crazy about the Bible. The tension I always feel is like, there's so many people who are just kind but ambivalent about things like this. Yeah. And 
I know that like for them, like it, it's never no, like it's no big deal for them to be ambivalent about an issue like this because it doesn't honestly affect them. And that's it is what it is. Right. I'm not going to get angry about it. But at the same time, it's like part of loving me well, part of under is to understand me. And when you say I don't really have an opinion about something like this, is to say that I don't care about you enough to take the time to really think about this. And because like on top of that. So many people love to stay in their ambivalence because if they're wrong about one thing, what else are they wrong about? And right. again, that makes sense because just like when you unpack one idea, when you have a faith that's built like a house of cards, you remove one thing, the whole thing just pff, gone. Yeah. So what's at stake isn't just I'm going to have to love and accept the gaze. What's at stake for a lot of them is their their fundamental way they believe they have to read the Bible, right? So that even when we talk about evolution and creation, well, how am I supposed to read the Bible if I'm not reading it just the way it's 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 written, mm-hmm. right? And so that for some people that pushes a, a panic button. It's it's interesting because I was talking to one of my friends. He he's a professor of clinical psychology, very much an ally, and uh, he said there is this thing called neuroplasticity, a okay, neuroplasticity, and uh, in other words, the human brain is plastic it mm-hmm. it it is affected by our experiences mm-hmm. and it, it can it can change the makeup of the brain okay and so he said um the research is true that people who tend to be conservative on most things that their amygdala which is kind of the most primitive part of the brain that's the reptilian brain it's it's enlarged it's bigger than a non-conservative person's amygdala and that's the fear trigger. Hmm. So if you've been raised in an environment where the world is a scary place and the only thing that's going to hold back all the boogeyman is believing in God and reading the Bible literally and seeing everything as black and white the way it was told to you, to just to accept that paradigm is already fear-based. Mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's like an extreme version of like if you belong to a Christian cult. Right. Like, you can't trust anything that anybody says if it's not me. Otherwise, you're going to go to hell. Right. So you keep getting that reinforced by authority figures and authority voices in your life, and it begins, the neuroplasticity, it begins to grow your amygdala to the point where you have a bigger fear trigger than someone who's not conservative. Interesting. Yeah, right? Isn't it? Okay. So if you think about how Donald Trump ran his campaign... He appealed to people's worst fears. So on one level, it was brilliant. Okay? Hmm. Right? And it's like, I'm the only one that can save you. Literally, he was saying that. Right? I'm the only one that can make America great again. Um, I think he's full of it. But for fear-based people who have reason to believe that Washington is full of elites and they don't care about them, and for Christians who believe that American society is leaving God behind and, you know, all, and you know, blah, 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 and the gay agenda is too powerful, that's all they can hear. And so... When, when you're in your reptilian brain, it's either fight or flight. The higher brain is the mammalian brain. And again, I think when you're raised in a less fear-based environment, the neuroplasticity tends to grow the higher brain bigger than the amygdala. And so you're not, I'm not triggered by fear. Aren't you afraid of this? Aren't you afraid of that? I go, no. Some of it is wiring. That's what I'm saying, Kevin. Yeah. Um, now, with neuroplasticity... Uh, a lot of these people on this new progressive Asian American uh, Facebook page, 
are proof positive that even if you were wired in the beginning with a bigger amygdala and, and more fear triggers, other experiences subsequent can actually rewire you so that you're less fear-based. And so, so many of the people on this progressive uh, Facebook page now are saying, I used to be such a fundamentalist. I used to be so black and white. And now you, you couldn't put a gun to my head and make me think that way. Mm-hmm. So there is some hopefulness. And I think for, for um, conservative Christians on this issue, when they find out that they have a loved one who's LGBTQ, um, not, not you, know, as you know, not 100%, but for some, that's what it takes because their love for that individual overwhelms their normal fear. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even the fear of ostracized, even the fear of being kicked out by your church because you're going to love your child, it's just like, I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'll yeah. find new church. I'll find new in, in some ways, if all you do is hang out with your, your clique, it's like, again, it's like being in a cult. You're, you're only going to hear the same messaging. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hear anything different. And you're pre-wired to, to criticize, if not throw out, anything that doesn't match your pre-existing thinking. Like, that's just in general. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'm like, the thing is, it's like I think I'm guilty of that, too. Oh, and, sure. We all are. And that's why, that's why. But see, you and I are saying we, we know we're guilty of it. <laughs> we're, we're manure. Yeah. We see, know that we're shitty. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to that conversation with my friend, Dr. Ken Fong. You can find Dr. Fong on Twitter at Ken. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this dude. I'm so sorry. Um, Ken Uyeda Fong, which is K E N U Y E D A F O N G. And uh, Ken, if you're listening, I'm really sorry about that. And you can find his podcast, Asian America at Asian podcast.com. And in all the other places that you normally get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want to give a special shout out to all of my new Patreon supporters. This past week, we had over nine people join the cause of creating LGBTQ content. Um, I'm so touched. I'm inspired. I am blown away by your generosity. And I just want to invite people who are listening now, if you think that conversations like these are important, if you believe that creating safer spaces for queer people and telling stories like these are important, then I think that you should definitely consider Uh, supporting the work because as many of you know I work part-time in a restaurant and I'm getting ready to go back to graduate school I'm starting at uh, Candler School of Theology this fall and what I would love to do is not work in a restaurant and not uh, have to like split my time between um, you know what I love doing which is creating content that tells important stories like this and uh, paying my bills so if we're able to help support this work and um, give to something that's worthy, like, you know, telling good stories, then uh, check it out. Go to patreon.com slash thekevingarcia to learn more about what it means to become a patron and support the work. Additionally, I want to let you guys know that at the by the end of this month, I am currently in the editing phases of starting my YouTube channel. Now, in the past, you may have known that I tried to launch a YouTube channel, but it just didn't feel right. But I'm approaching this. I have a plan. I have action. I have content already developed. Um, And the YouTube channel is going to be more focused on, uh, you know, biblical conversations around the LGBTQ 
blah 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 you know what i'm trying to say so like we're going to be able to talk about the bible and the lgbtq experience we're going to be talking about progressive theology how do you actually talk to your friends and family about this um because it's a it's a niche that's not really been met through the youtube community and i want to start that i honestly feel like this is god has been slowly talking to me about this for a while and finally it just clicked so you should go over to my uh, my page, thekevingarcia.com. At the top, there's a little YouTube link, and you can just go ahead and subscribe. That way, you don't miss a beat when it all drops. Say word! Okay, guys, that's all from me. And if you love this podcast, go ahead and leave it a five-star rating in the iTunes store. It seriously helps us get in contact and share this, uh, this stuff with people who actually need to hear it. Um, share it with a pastor who's probably struggling with uh, this whole conversation. Share it with a friend who may not know that there are pastors out there who actually love them. And I think that covers all the bases. Um, yeah, it does. Um, connect with me over at thekevingarcia.com and on all the social medias. And until next week, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I hope you loved it, and I hope you remember that you are so loved. I'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Mwah. We know that we're shitty. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs>